The Midwest Crime Files is an unscripted true crimes podcast. In it, we discuss heinous crimes and how they are committed. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to the Midwest Crime Files. I'm your host, Gina. And I'm Chris. And we're here to tell you the stories of small towns and the heinous crimes that changed them forever. Welcome to 2022, y'all. Happy New Year. Yay. Yay. <laughs> it's our first episode of the year. Yay. And... <laughs> I, I, I know you looked at me because I wasn't enthusiastic about it being 2022. Well, I'm excited. I'm so excited. Oh, good Lord. Dun, this is what I deal with. Dun, dun, dun. And I don't, I don't. Are you done? No. Okay. Um, So (laughs) the story we're going to tell you guys today is one I think you guys will find very interesting. It's very sad. And um, we will give some trigger warnings. There are uh, mentions of crime against children in this episode. Mm -hmm. So this is the story of Disappeared, the Jacob Wetterling story. So on October 12th, 1989, Jacob Wetterling recorded a video for school where he had to describe himself. And we're going to play you just a snippet of that video. Today, October 12th, I'm five feet tall. My home name is Jacob Irvin Wetterling. My favorite food is steak. My favorite color is blue. My best friend is Aaron Larson. My favorite, I don't know. Jacob was 11 years old, and as you probably heard, he described some of his favorite things, such as steak and his best friend being his neighbor, Aaron, and the his parents had no idea how precious this video would become. He sounds like my kind of guy, though. I like steak. I like steak, too. Just 10 days after Jacob recorded this video, he disappeared. Jacob's family and friends searched for him. They prayed for his safe return. And they continued to search for him and pray for his return for 27 This is Jacob's story, and it is nothing less of shocking and disturbing. Jacob Irwin Wetterling was born February 17, 1978, in St. Joseph, Minnesota. His parents were Jerry, a chiropractor, and Patty, a homemaker. They raised their children right there in the small town of St. Joseph's, Minnesota, and they had four kids. They had Amy, then they had Jacob, Trevor. They had four children. They had Amy, then Jacob, then Trevor, and Carmen. In 1989, Jacob was a sixth grade student at North Community School. He was a good student, too. He made straight A's. He was an athlete. He played baseball. He played soccer. He played hockey, because if you live in Minnesota, it's kind of required, I think. Yeah, either hockey or lacrosse, one of the two. Right. He was also learning how to play the trombone in the band. He was just somebody that had a lot to look forward to in his life, and his father said, quote, 
Jacob has a delightful smile that lights up his face and makes others smile, end quote. On the night of October 22nd, 1989, Patty and Jerry went out together and they left Jacob, his younger brother Trevor, and younger sister Carmen at home. And along with them was Jacob's best friend and next door neighbor, Aaron, and his older sister, who was kind of acting like the babysitter for the group. Yeah. Yeah, we'll put end quotes on babysitter, because we all know that when you get a bunch of teenagers together, it's not really babysitting. So, the Wetterling house was down at the end of a dead-end road, a few miles from the Tom Thumb video store. Jacob called his parents while they were out, and he wanted to know if he and Aaron and his brother Trevor could ride their bikes to the store and rent a movie. And when I say movie, I'm talking about a video, because this is before, well, obviously now you just stream the shit on TV, but, you know. Come on, where are my my blockbuster people at? Right. So, Patty told the boys no, because it was getting late, and she was afraid the boys would get hit by a car, because it's, you know, like I said, it's a dead-end road, and there's houses on it, but they're few and far in between, and it's kind of a rural area and you know cars tend to go fast and she's like it's dark they're gonna get hit by a car but jacob asked his father jerry and his father jerry gave the boys permission so if mom didn't have the answer ask dad sounds like our household i mean that sounds like kids in general aaron was 11 as was jacob and trevor was 10 so the three boys rode their bikes to Tom Thumb, and as they were riding their bikes up this rural roadway, they passed several fields, and one of the things that they also passed was this really long gravel driveway. Aaron and Trevor later said that they thought they had heard some rustling in the field right by that driveway when they were on their way to the video store. It was dark, and the boys only had one flashlight to guide them. They get to Tom Thumb, they rent their video, on the way home, they started to get close to that driveway again, that long rock driveway. And that's when something terrible happened. At approximately 9.15 p.m., a man that was, quote, wearing something dark over his face, end quote, so that makes me think like nylon or something, Yeah. jumped out in front of them. And the man had a gun, and he told the boys to put their bikes in the ditch and lie on the ground. They obviously did what they were told, scared to death, 10 and 11-year-old boys. And he asked Trevor to look at him, and he looked at Trevor's face, and he said, well, how old are you? And he said, I'm 10. And so he thought for a second, and he said, run home as as quickly as you can. If you look back, I'll shoot you. So Trevor takes off. The man then asked Aaron and Jacob what their ages were, and they both told him 11, and he kind of looked them over like he was trying to, like, pick which fruit was riper, and that sounds disgusting, but, like, that's how he looked at them, and then he told Aaron to run just as he did Trevor. So Aaron takes off after Trevor, and the two run as quickly as they can to the Wetterling's house. Once the boys reach the house, they alarmed Aaron's sister of what happened and she calls Jacob and Trevor's parents and 911. The boys are interviewed and they showed police where they left their bikes at and where this abduction occurred. But 
almost right after it happened, there's no sign of Jacob at the scene. Yeah. It's just like he just vanished. The bikes were still lying in the ditch. And police did find some tire tracks on that long gravel driveway. And they made a cast of those tire tracks. Down the driveway from the abduction site was Daniel Rasher. Or Razier. I don't know how you pronounce it. We're just going to call him Daniel. So, Dan called 911 around 10 p.m. that night because he saw several people walking around his property holding flashlights. And on the podcast, In the Dark, he said that he thought these people were, like, going to try to steal his firewood or something. He really wasn't sure. And he thought that he probably couldn't handle all of them, so he decided to call 911. But the dispatcher explained to him that they were looking for a missing child in the area and that those people with flashlights were officers. So at that point, Dan goes outside to meet with the officers. He said they explained that there was a missing kid. And they didn't ask him, though, like to search. This is a farm. So they didn't ask him to like search any of the buildings or anything like that. They just kind of looked around and they said, you know, if you've find anything let us know right you know but it seems like it certainly wasn't as thorough of a search as it probably should should have been been. and it ended pretty quickly and dan said he wasn't asked about his whereabouts he really wasn't questioned that night nothing even though he's right down the driveway from where this boy was abducted right in 1989 daniel rasher was in his 30s he was a music teacher He was living in this rural farmhouse with his adult parents. His parents were out of town. And Dan was somewhat socially awkward, but he was a really talented musician. He was also a marathon runner. He was home alone the night of October 22nd, 1989, and he said he was organizing his extensive record collection. He said that his dog barked around 9.15, And he looked out to see a blue car turning around in his driveway and driving off. He, you know, didn't think anything of it. You know, like people come down our road all the time to turn around. Right. Doesn't mean anything. But then when his dog started barking again at 10 p.m., that's when he found the search party. The search for Jacob was one of the largest searches in missing person history in Minnesota. And actually, it was one of the largest searches for a missing person in the United States history at the time, in 1989. Like, this is a huge search. They've yeah. got ground search, air search. They're utilizing everything, everything they, pop, they pop. can find. Yeah. Thousands of leads that were followed up on. And according to the podcast In the Dark, some of the youth from a nearby town called Painesville said that they actually went up and talked to officers once they heard about Jacob's abduction because there was a man in the area that had molested a couple of different children in the neighborhood, a couple of different boys. And they all said that he drove this blue car. Additionally, one of the Wetterling's neighbors had a 14-year-old son, and he informed police that there was a man in a blue car shortly before this abduction, like maybe a a week or so before, that had a blue car and followed him home and kind of parked in his driveway. He ran in his house and this car just kind of parked in his driveway and stared at him for a while before it pulled away. 
So, Jesus. like, there was some creepy shit going on in this neighborhood. 100% creepy shit. Now, the kids that all reported these incidents to police said that the police didn't seem very interested. And that nothing was really followed up on. But I don't have the police records to say that. But it's very unclear if especially the blue car was followed up on. Because right. we have a blue car with Painesville molestations. We have a blue car in the neighbor's, you know, the creepy guy that followed right. the neighbor home. And a blue car that turned around in the driveway. Right. I'm, I'm thinking that's probably all the same blue car. Right. So there had been another abduction... Just nine months before Jacob's disappearance in a nearby town called Cold Springs, Minnesota. The victim in this case was able to provide a description of his attacker who abducted him at gunpoint and told him that if he told anyone, he would kill him. The man took him somewhere, molested him, and then told him to run away and not look back or he would be shot. I mean, that's almost verbatim of what, what Trevor and Aaron reported. Right. Uh, this case, you know, it, I don't know if it was immediately linked or not. It kind of depends on which reference you look at. Some people say they always kind of connected them, and some people say police sort of ignored the connection. But there was DNA evidence obtained in that case because that victim survived. Yeah. You know, he was molested but survived. Um, so DNA was not really widely used at that time, but they did do... Like a forensic exam and right. they have the DNA on file. The victim from Cold Springs informed police that the man had a police scanner in his car and he wore all camouflage. And this really triggered the police to look for a man who lived in Painesville named Danny Heinrich. Heinrich was pulled over shortly around that time and he had a police scanner in his car and he wore a lot of camo. He was actually part of the military he was a suspect in other molestations that were occurring in the Painesville area already so they bring Danny Heinrich in for a lineup and the victim of the Cold Springs molestation he picked Danny but he also said the other guy one of the other guys could have been the man too so it really wasn't a positive identification he wasn't sure right But he said it looks similar to the guy that had abducted him. But he couldn't positively identify him. So, I mean, that case kind of goes cold, too. And, like I said, that was months before. Nine months. Yeah. And then Jacob was abducted. As the days turns into weeks, turns into months, Patty and Jerry refuse to give up hope. They continued to search for their son, and this disappearance, it really did shake this community to its core. And it created so much anxiety. And, like, a lot of the newspaper articles I was reading, they talked about how, like, kids were scared. Parents were scared. You know, it was the stranger danger stuff that became really popular um, around that time to be teaching your kids. Like, it was scary as hell i remember being early 90s like that was a huge thing that everybody was taught Uh, yeah i mean everybody our age knows the term stranger danger right and one of the quotes that i found in the paper was quote children are more aware of the need to watch out for their personal safety 
and many say they no longer go outside alone, end quote. Could you imagine our kids being scared to go outside alone? No, not at all. Like, I couldn't imagine me, like, I don't know. I guess my diff- my upbringing is a little bit different because I was on a military base, you know? But damn, like, that doesn't seem right at all. That, no. oh, hey, you know, you, you live in the most rural part of ruralness. Right. And you, but you still can't go out by, by yourself because we've got freaking a creeper. Right. So four months after Jacob disappeared, Jerry and Patty formed the Jacob Wetterling Foundation, a nonprofit agency committed to child safety education. One thing Patty found out when she spoke with the police is that the police said that they spent a lot of time trying to track down people that had been convicted of sex offenses against children to find their whereabouts. And so the police really wanted there to be like a database for officers so that if a kid disappears, they would know where the sex offenders were. Right. And so we have the birth of the sex offender registry. Oh, it was because of this case that it was born. That's awesome, though. So Patty Wetterling, she decided to work with her local legislators and she helped create this law to develop the Jacob Wetterling Crimes Against Children and Sexually Violent Offender Registration Act of 1994. This bill was signed into law in 1994 by President Bill Clinton and it now required all states to develop a sex offender registry. That's awesome. Like that, and then I it, you know, it, it kind of boggles my mind that it took till, you know, 1994, 1994 that we're like, hey, let's keep track of all the, 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 the pedos. Right. So, and what, because we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but one thing that Patty said was like, this was supposed to be an investigative tool for officers. She really didn't know it was even going to be a public thing at first. Right. That was kind of added to the bill um, related to a different case, but... You know, it was really so that officers could easily track likely offenders or suspects in these cases. And some of the states had had their own sex offender registries, but there was no law that required it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So despite success in political action, the Wetterling family still was no closer to finding Jacob. He had now been missing five years. Police searches continued to come up empty. It was it was just like he vanished. The case gained some traction again in 2004, 15 years after Jacob disappeared, when a new sheriff in Stearns County took over the case. He was reviewing some old leads, and it was discovered that pretty quickly after the abduction, a man came forward and said that he saw the bikes in the ditch at 9.30 p.m. So whether or not this guy was ever questioned... It's kind of, it's another thing where there's a lot of things in here that it's like, why didn't police follow up with that? You know? So they bring this guy, they track this guy down. He says, well, yeah, I pulled into that driveway that night and I turned around about 930. And, you know, they said, well, we had some tire tracks. Now, of course, it's 15 years later. You can't compare tires anymore. Right. You know, and he said, well, I had pretty much brand new tires at the time. And they said, well, that would match the tire tracks we have. So they decided this guy was not related. And they basically said the car was no longer 
part of the uh, crime. Exactly. So now they're thinking that their suspect didn't have a car. And the other thing is, too, Aaron and Trevor said they didn't see a car when this all happened. Right. So now they're thinking their suspect was at the end of that driveway. Mr. Wright Razor? Yeah. So police interrogate Dan again 15 years later. He was still living at the end of that driveway with his mother. His father had passed away. He continued to teach music and he just, he didn't have a a lot of active social life and he really didn't have a lot of relationships and police wanted to get a search warrant. So they started kind of tailing him, kind of try to find like evidence to support a search warrant. And some of the things they use to get this search warrant are really bizarre. So the police used his location of the crime. Okay, I can see that. The fact that he only received one Christmas card that year. What the hell does that have to do with anything? No clue. But that's one of the things they use to show, like, probable cause. And they use this other, like, evidence in quotations here. Quotations with my fingers that you can't see, listeners. But it, it was just, like, weird shit. Like, that he had only had one romantic relationship and... Just odd shit that some, they use to try to get like, this. And this is the same man that the the night that it happened, there was police on his park, like, searching the woods in his property. Right. And they didn't search his and house. And they didn't search his, his house buildings, then. nothing. And he's like, I wish to God they had searched my house. Um, so they use all this, you know, evidence. And finally, the judge is like, I still don't know if we have enough probable cause. So one of the officers says, well, there was a... Like a media um, post that Dan had given a quote for about running marathons. And he said something to the effect of he runs to escape reality. And so they use that as evidence that he was involved. Like it makes no sense. So the police basically drug this man's name through dirt. You know, finding shit, like trying to find just whatever the fuck they could. Right. I mean, I get the proximity to the crime scene. I get that 100%. Yeah, that's 100%. Especially after the fact that, oh, the two boys said, no, we didn't see a car. Right. The one car that they did, that was seen at this was just like, no, I went and turned around. Right. Which so, is still kind of fishy to me. Like, Well, that, they, that it took them 15 years to talk to the guy? Yeah. Um. So, lawyers for Dan Rasher said, quote, they submitted false information to secure a search warrant, end quote. And that sounds pretty legit. Well, I mean... And, if not, if not false information, very flimsy, freaking circumstantial. Like, there's nothing that he said or did. Like the whole, right. I run a marathon to escape reality. Like, yeah, if I just say I run to, like, I run marathons because I'm, try, you know, trying to escape. Yeah, that sounds pretty shitty until you take it into the whole. Like, this is why I I don't like these things because you can take everything. Everything can be taken out of context. Oh yeah. And that's you know, exactly I, what they did. Now, I understand why they wanted a search warrant. I understand that completely. You know, because I was, you know, I, we have a the blog post up whenever we're doing this. And I read along while Gino talks. And before you said anything, you said, he made, a, made the comment about running, quote, running to escape, end quote, when questioned. Yeah. If you would just give me running to escape, just, just those three words. Yeah, shit, that sounds guilty as hell. That's all right. That. But when you give me the context... I run, running to escape reality. 
Well, and a marathon runner. I mean, they do that for the same reason you play video games. To escape. It's like to relax yourself. No, 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 no. Marathon runners are a whole different kind of breed. They run... That's like, no, no. Well, whatever. The point being, it's his hobby. I know what you're saying. It's his hobby. Right. You know, whatever. Um, So, anyway, they did get... By in 2010, they finally got their search warrant. So we are now 21 years after he disappeared. Right. And they publicly named Daniel Rasher as, quote, a person of interest, end quote. So that really has no legal meaning. But, but the, it was enough that as a music teacher, he was the, no longer hired to do music lessons. Right. Because he was a person of interest. And because people are freaking idiots. Well, I'm sorry. I wouldn't send my kid to someone the police are saying is a person of interest. Well, I, mean, I, I was talking about the cops. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's the only that's the only just that's the only way that they could get their search warrant. Right. Is if they name him a person of interest. Yeah. Like you guys had multiple years at this point to try to get him. But they didn't even have to name him publicly. But they did. No, because you're like, oh, that's the guy. Right. He's you know he's a loner that lives with his parents still. That's kind of he's kind of socially awkward, so he must be guilty. So they execute this search warrant on the property. They tear up the farm. They dig. They go through properties. You know, I mean, it's been 21 years. So they're digging everything up and they found nothing. And once again, Jacob's case goes cold. Dan Rasher said that because he was labeled a person of interest, the comment just ruined his life. He wasn't able to get dates you know, what little he dated anyway. His parents, um, or not his parents, but rather parents in the community did not want to hire him to give music right. lessons. And oh. this was a cloud that just followed him around. Like, if people Googled him and they saw a person of interest in a, in a abduction, like, yeah, you who know, wants to hire you? Who wants to date yeah, you? know, you? the first thing you Google, music lessons near me. Second, oh, he's near me. You know, freaking Daniel Razor. Oh, shit. He's a person of interest. Right. Nope. Well, that one's definitely off the table. Exactly. So, Timmy, I you're mean, not going to that guy. They did essentially ruin this guy's life, and they found nothing. And, I mean, I I would probably look... I would have probably looked at him from the beginning. But they yeah. didn't do that. They waited 20 years. When a man named Vernon Seats died in his home, his psychiatrist came forward and said that Vernon had admitted to murdering two boys in 1958. So, a search is done of his home. Now, let's do a timeout real quick. I understand the whole concept of patient, like doctor-patient privilege. Mm-hmm. Same as... I understand the whole concept of like a doctor-patient privilege. And like, you know, if you tell your a priest... You know, like, what more obligation... Like, if this psychiatrist knew that he murdered two... Like, if he had said something, like, wouldn't he... Like, I just don't get that ramification. I don't know what the law would be specifically, because I know in most states, like, if your client or your patient is a risk of hurting themselves or others, you have to report it. But maybe if he was... if I'm saying maybe. I don't know the law. If his psychiatrist thought that he wasn't a threat anymore or something like he would still, I I don't know. But then upon his death, he did come forward and say this and a search of his home found some really disturbing shit. 
They found child sex abuse images, bondage devices, books on cannibalism, newspaper clippings about multiple missing children, and a laminated poster of Jacob Wetterling's missing poster. Jesus Christ. That's fucked up. Right? And then, I'm going to make it worse for you. Patty Wetterling confirms that Vernon Seats came to visit her twice in the years following Jacob's disappearance, claiming to be a psychic. The fuck? Right. And so, in the Dark podcast, um, which is like a nine-part series about this case, they talked about things that I didn't even think about. Like, when your child is missing that long and you're that desperate, like, they had a phone set up in their house so people call out all hours of night and they would have to pick it up and talk to these people. Most people were fucking crazy. Psychics telling them crazy shit, you know. Like, you don't think about that. Like, how much you have to go through while, you know, your kid's missing. And... Vernon Seats, this screwed up child molester murderer dude, had been there to visit Patty twice. That's fucked up. Right? So he's looking like a pretty good suspect now. Yeah. Um, But there really wasn't any specific evidence that could link him. But, I mean, they weren't ruling it out that it was him, but they I mean, couldn't it's prove fuck, it. It's a creepy as shit that you got a laminated, like... Child poster. Missing child poster. Yeah. Of of the person that we've been looking for. Right. So, I mean, he's looking like a likely suspect, but they couldn't prove it yet. 27 years passed without answers for Jacob Wetterling's family. No justice had been served for the Cold Springs victim either. Remember the little boy that was abducted and molested? Yep. So that little boy, now an adult, comes forward and he asks investigators to take another look at his case. Because even though the statute of limitations on his assault had expired, he just wanted them to figure out who it was. He wanted them to look at it. He knew that they couldn't prosecute, but he wanted it to be looked at. So the similarities... In this case, have been identified early on, but for some reason, it never really escalated to this is the same person. And it seemed the leads pointed back to an old suspect, Danny Heinrich. Now, if you remember, Danny Heinrich was the man that was part of the lineup that yeah. the Cold Springs victim ID'd, but he also ID'd another wore, man. Always wore camo, had the blue car, had the freaking scanner. Yeah. So, a search warrant on Heinrich's home in Painesville, Minnesota, was issued, and they search his house, and you know what they find? Child porn. Several child sex abuse images. Yeah, let's not call it child pornography anymore. Like, pornography is something... Right. I mean, we really talk about it. It's not pornography. It's sex abuse images. Yeah. Like, let's call it what it really... Like, let's call it what it is. It's sexual abuse image. Like... Yeah. These guys are perverts that get right. their jollies off freaking touching and seeing little kids. Hey guys, it's Gina. And it's Chris. And we want to tell you about a new product we recently discovered. It's called Hydronique. It's unique hydration. And what it is, is it's individual servings, basically your multivitamin in powder form that you put into a bottle of water or a different drink if you prefer. 
And I will tell you, I usually do not like vitamin powders or electrolyte powders, but this one tastes really, really good. And I'm very picky, so that says something. Yeah, and I like it because it is caffeine-free and sugar-free. You know, me being a diabetic and trying to be on a keto diet, it helps me fulfill a nutritional aspect that I was missing, but also doesn't give me the added sugars and extra junk. Right, absolutely. And it doesn't have any artificial dyes or flavors either, so I feel comfortable giving it to our kids, which is amazing. And another thing that I'm excited to try it for is when I get to drink some wine, because it's chock full of B vitamins, so hopefully it'll ward off a hangover too. Yeah, you can visit the website, Hydronique Hydration. It's www.hydronique-hydration.com. Or you can visit them at amazon.com. That's how, where we found them at. Yes. And Amazon is offering a $10 discount code at checkout for the next week. Yeah, so head on over and find your Hydronique. So, of course, when they find this, they arrest Danny Heinrich. So for I, federal child pornography charges. Okay, so I had a question. How did they get a search warrant? Because if the statute of limitations have already passed on the case that he wanted to be seen at, how did they get a search warrant? I'm not 100% sure. To like, that's be something that I don't. You. I mean, I'm glad um, that they did, but it just seems weird that they got a search warrant for what? Like, was it well, for the same? Well, I'm wondering if they didn't have some evidence of the child porn beforehand. Right. Because a lot of that is digital evidence. So I'm wondering if they just didn't start looking into him and they made that connection. Right. Um, so, you know, he's arrested and facing these federal charges. And upon his arrest, they swab him for his DNA. Yeah. And guess what? It's freaking... It's a match to the Cold Springs... Abduction and molestation. Jesus Christ. Now again, the statute of limitations prevented him from being charged. But there's no statute of limitations on murder. So, now please put together the blue car. The abductions in Painesville. The abduction in Cold Springs. And they're really thinking Danny Heinrich's their guy. But of course, it's now been 27 years. And there's not a lot of evidence left. So they go to Jerry and Patty. And they want to know how the family would like them to proceed with Danny Heinrich. Oh, you ready? Yeah, I, I read it. Well, they made a deal with, with the, the devil. They told Danny that if he would tell them the truth and lead them to Jacob's remains, that they would not prosecute him for the murder. Now, Jacob's parents agreed because they wanted to find their son and bring him home. Danny yeah. Heinrich, of course, took the deal. In September 2016, 53-year-old Danny Heinrich confessed in open court to abducting, sexually assaulting, and murdering Jacob Wetterling on October 22, 1989. He said that after he told Aaron to run, he forced Jacob to get in his car. He said Jacob asked, what did he do? He asked, like, what did I do wrong? The man then drove him to a remote location and sexually assaulted him 
And then he said that he saw cop cars and probably what was the beginning of the missing person search. And he panicked, so he shot Jacob twice in the head. He later buried the boy in a shallow grave, and he led authorities to that grave. And Jacob Wetterling's remains were recovered, and Jerry and Patty were finally able to bury their son 27 years after his murder. I'm pissed off that he doesn't get fried for this. Yep. And I understand. Like, I I, I, I understand that they just wanted to bring him home. But damn. And there was nothing they were going to be able to do short of getting a confession to prove that he did it. Right. But damn. U.S. Attorney Andy Luger said, quote, He's not getting away with anything. We got the truth. The Wetterling family will bring him home. End quote. And I'm going to have you read a quote from Patty Wetterling. She said, quote, It's incredibly painful to know his last days, last hours, last minutes. To us, Jacob was alive until we found him. End quote. So 27 years of hoping, praying that he was alive somewhere. And he never made it past that first night. Yeah. It's just, oh, makes you sick, doesn't it? Yeah. In 2017, Danny Heinrich was found guilty on the child pornography charges and was sentenced to 20 years in federal prison. Go fuck yourself. Like, that. Yeah. 20 years. And he can get out, and I'm sure... And we know for a fact that he has raped children, molested children, and murdered children. And he's doing 20 years. I wonder if that's the maximum sentence. I don't know. Because that seems a lot smaller than it should be. Yeah. And just to know that this is a monster. Yeah. Like, this isn't a man. This is a monster. That got... He got away. Like, yeah. He said, yeah, I could... Yeah. I killed him. Yeah. I, I mean, he it. led him to his remains. So it's not even like he was taking the deal to, to try to spare himself anything. He led him to the remains. So obviously he's the one who did it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like he gave a false confession because he was going to get something out of it. Right. Oh, it makes me so sick. It's just, ugh. And Danny Heinrich told his brother, quote, I was a monster back then, but I stopped, end quote. Whatever. It doesn't fucking matter. I mean, what the fuck ever. I think once you're disgusting, you're always disgusting. In transcripts of phone calls between Heinrich and his brother, the man claims that he never committed any other sexually violent acts after Jacob's murder. Well, you downloaded child porn, so I don't want to fucking hear it, dude. Right. And You're I, complicit. I wonder, I wonder if he's fucking saying that kind of stuff just because he knows people are, like, people are listening. He also states that he hopes that he's allowed to live outside Minnesota upon his release from federal custody. Nope. I fucking, I, I bet you he steps, I don't know. Well, he's in federal custody and Minnesota legally has the right to civilly commit him as a sex offender when he's released from prison. So he's hoping to live outside Minnesota so that he cannot be civilly committed as a sex offender. Yeah, go fuck yourself, dude. Right. He's scheduled for release in 2033. It's too soon for me. Very fucking much And he'll be 77 years old? Or 70 years old? Yeah. Yeah, go fuck yourself, dude. He'll be 70 years old. He has been suspected in dozens of molestation cases throughout Painesville in the 1980s. But he cannot be charged any longer in those cases. (sighs) Okay. 
I oh, never mind. I'm just gonna get into a rant that's not gonna make any sense. Like I I, I understand what statute like the reasons for statute limitations. Actually, I don't like, especially in violent crimes. Well, a lot of times the statute, especially for things like robbery and things like that, is because the evidence degrades over years, and as we know. Um, people's memories are not great and so IDs are not right. like you can't get you know robbed at gunpoint and then 20 years later tell me you're going to pick that person out of a lineup. No and I okay I, so I get that. But this is a man like the DNA evidence proved he that he had sexually like abducted ass- and molested, molested somebody. Yeah. Like I just don't see why he can't be charged with that. So even if you take the molestation out of it, I don't understand why he can't be charged with abduction because I didn't think there was a statute of limitations on abduction, but maybe in Minnesota there is. I don't know, but I just think that's something that needs to get that would definitely need to get looked at. Yeah, like you're right. There are some crime. If if I have DNA, but I guess this is that whole thing with the whole. Um. What we got into an argument about before. About being char- like, tried for the same thing twice. Well, that's double jeopardy, though. This is different than double jeopardy. He was never tried for these crimes. I know, but even if they... I don't know. It's... It just... Uh, I don't think there should be a statute of limitation on violent crimes against children. Let's just put it that way. Well, that... Yeah. If you can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt... Which we did with DNA... Which they did with DNA evidence. Right. I mean, I just don't see that. And, like, they could have even come back and gave a lot of pretty decent circumstantial evidence, too. I mean, he was a suspect at the beginning for crying out loud. It's not like his name came out of nowhere. Right. I mean, he was in a lineup that... I, why wasn't it pursued more? Well, and that's the question a lot of people ask because a lot of people feel like the Stearns County Sheriff's Department didn't do a very good job in the in the Cold Springs abduction and molestation investigation. And they also feel like they didn't do a very good job in Jacob Wetterling's missing person investigation. No, like I see the ball being dropped a bunch in this case. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, you had the man 27 years ago in a lineup mm-hmm. that was picked out. And you didn't do anything with it. Right. I mean, You're, I understand that, like, that well, he picked another person, so the lineup wouldn't have, have been admissible in court. And I get that. But what? What's okay? a couple so, years later, there was a lot of DNA being used. Like, well, it, wouldn't have take, it shouldn't have taken 27 years for them to link that DNA. Well, and that's the thing. They took a DNA sample, like, from the, the victim. Right, in 89. In 89, right? Yeah. And then he pointed him out in a lineup in the 90, in like 90? Or it was, was it in 89 start, that okay, he still 89. lineup. Okay. I think before so what, Jacob was even abducted. What, what would be the harm in being like, hey, we're naming like naming him a fucking person of interest and right. getting a search warrant or getting a warrant and being like, hey, spit in this cup. Yeah. Hey, let me swab your cheeks. Well, I think 89 they didn't use DNA as much, but by 95 they could have. For crying right. out loud. And I don't know what the I don't know what the statute of limitations is. Like how many years I, it is. It's different in every state, but I just don't see how child abduction can have a statute of limitations. Because if you think about these people that abduct their kids and or not even their own kids, but sometimes their own kids, and they find them twenty years later, those people go to prison. So right. how can you not I just I don't get it. I don't understand it. This guy is the devil. 
And I, it's very easy to criticize police and I don't envy their job whatsoever. But I hope that they've learned from their mistakes in this case. Because this guy is the devil and he got a slap on the wrist. And that's it. It's just, it's sad. Jacob's abduction and murder rattled the small community in central Minnesota. And it really rattled small communities everywhere. Parents changed the way they parented. Children changed the way they played. His legacy lives on with the Jacob Wetterling Resource Center, which is committed to pro providing safety education for children and their families. And, and the freaking sexual abuse registry. Right. The Jacob Wetterling Crimes Against Children and Sexually Violent Offender Registration Act of 94 laid the groundwork for the much stricter sex offender registry that we have today. So this is where I said we we're going to come back and talk about that. Patter, Patty Wetterling kind of went into politics and she's been pretty outspoken about the shortcomings of our current sex offender registry. She said, Which, you know, she never intended this to be anything more than a law enforcement tool. She never intended for this to be a public registry. And she feels like these public registries now have created so many obstacles for offenders that they can't find work. They can't find housing. They can't find the normal essentials they need to, like, prevent them from committing more crimes. Right. And she said that some people on these registries are just, and she's right, they're stupid kids who sent a picture of their ding-dong to their girlfriend. Or a guy that was drunk and stepped outside the bar and took a piss, like, on, you know, in the alley. And somebody saw his winger. Right. Like, this is... And, and she's very not happy with the way our well, current system is. And I is. agree with her to it, like, to, on this, on that point of it. I believe the sex, the registry is a great tool. Yes. You know. It's just gone it, too far. Right. Like, I don't, I wonder, I don't know ex the exact, like, rules behind the registry. Can you ever come off the registry? Well, you, sometimes you can. It depends on your specific state laws, um, and it depends on what your crime is. So... If your crime is that you're 19 and your girlfriend's 16, in Illinois anyway, I believe you can come off after 10 years. So 10 years you have to live with being... Right. But if you were 22 in the state of Illinois and you slept with a 15-year-old, I'm not saying it's not gross, but just a couple more eight years age gap, it's a lifetime. Like, and I wonder if it's, like, 10 years minimum, like, for the 16-year-old that took a freaking dick pic. I'm like, <laughs> look at my wiener. Right, I don't know. Or because if it's child porn, I think it's life. Oh, but fuck. each... Yeah? Yeah. I'm, because then we got to consider that, too. Right. Because that's considered because child... Because that's considered child sex abuse images. <sighs> so, I mean, you have people that are going to be on the sex offender registry for the rest of their lives... Because they Which, did something stupid as a child, not because they're a dangerous person who people need to be aware of. Right. And, you know. And to make that, I mean, I kind of like that the registry is a public register. I do too. But then again, it's kind of, okay, so why aren't other criminals registered? Right. Well, and that's something else Patty said too. Like, there's no other crimes where we make you register for life and we brand you with a scarlet letter. They well, but see that that's true but it's not true because I do know at least in Illinois there is a violence against children and murder registry. Okay. So, but I don't think every state has that. 
But, you know, there are people that go to jail for much worse things than some of the people that are on the sex offender registry. Yeah, and that, that get out. Yeah. And they can live... Yeah, they're a felon. Right. I mean, I they're, they're going to have trouble getting a job because they have a criminal history, but they're not on a public registry so that their neighbors know what they did when they were 17. Where, right. Well, where some neighbor can be like, fuck you and throw shit, you know, like, because that's another thing is... Or like, you have your these kids visual- can't go to so-and-so's house because when their dad was 18, he sent a dick pic to some girl. Right. You know, and then you get these vigilante warriors that want to be like, hell, uh, there was a case I was watching. It was a couple... That were like white supremacists that killed a child molester that was in their hometown. Jesus. Like, and they did it because they did it just because because they didn't want him there. Grant, okay, like this. Does, I'm not saying that child molesting, like you know, that's not that's right. not the point of this. It's the point is that if you're on the list, you have a target because you have to register your address. And guess what? That's public. Right. I don't think that the address should be public. Like, if you want to put somebody on a list. Okay, there's a, a list for the public and the list for the, and a list for the police right. officers. Well, and in some states, it's mandatory for like if someone moves into your neighborhood that's a registered sex they have offender, to come around. the police have to come and tell you. And like, I don't know. I think it's one thing if they're a sexual predator. Like, I think we need to look at what they're on the registry for, and there needs to be like some tears because. I don't care if the person down the road was 19 and had sex with a 16-year-old girl. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying it's now been 20 years and those 19 and 16-year-old are married and have three kids. I don't think they're going to come molest my child. Let's put this in the right context. 19-year-old and 16-year-old that were dating. Like, it's not a forcible rape type situation. Right. We're talking like statutory. This, but I know that a 16-year-old can't consent. Right. Again, not saying I, I have no, proof of that no, behavior. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I was just putting that caveat in there for the listeners to realize that we're not talking about, like, the 19-year-old that goes and rapes the 16-year-old. Oh, no, we're talking about the ones that are We're not are talking a, about a forcible crime. Like, I'm, shit, how many people do we know that were dating older people Right. When we were in high school. And like school. I said, I mean, I'm not justifying it because if it was my kid, I'd be pissed. You know, like, I don't, I'm not justifying it. I'm not saying it's right. But what I'm saying is there's a big difference between that person and the this person. This piece of shit. Yeah. This piece of shit that rapes and molests <laughs> and murders children. I'm pointing at the computer screen like they can see me. They like, know exactly who we're talking about. It's fine. But no. It's like, and that's, and like you said, there needs to be, I, I don't want, if my son sends a dick pic. To somebody for it to ruin the rest of his life right you know i don't want my son if he becomes 22 and now he drunk, sends that pic to a 12 year old when he's an adult okay maybe yeah well ruin his life then because he needs it right but if he's 16 and he sends it to a 16 year old girl it's not right i'm gonna be pissed i'm gonna take his phone and smash it into smithereens right let, but let, i don't think we need to ruin the kid's life let the parents justice go come in at that point you yeah. know i mean it just we I, have to look at things Different. Right. It's not... Well, not different, but in, like you said, like a tier system, like, and if it's a certain age and it's a non-violent, like, non-violent crime, Mm -hmm. like a dick pic or pissing on a wall, like, let it fall off at 18. Something. You know? Like, hell, I had a criminal record when I was growing up. And then at 18, it becomes, like, it gets, nobody gets to see it no more. Right. Mine was petty theft, guys. I got caught freaking stealing from a store. It's not it's not that bad. You know, but once again, this is just a reason why I think that our whole justice system 
needs to kind of have a fucking, like, let's go, guys. Let's wake up. Like, we're not living in these archaic worlds. We're not living in a world without cell phones anymore. We're not living in a world where, you know, shit, let's take it even one step further. When my my grandparents and your, like, grandparents were dating... How many freaking people were married by before they're eighteen? Oh yeah, definitely. like let's go into like if you want to go weird, let's go fun like really funkin' weird, funkin' weird. That's my new You're word. You're a mess. That's my that's my new word for the f bomb. It's funkin'. So Jesus Christ. But no, like you know, like we have all these overprotective people. Kids are gonna do stupid shit. Kids always do stupid shit. We've kids have done shit. Since cavemen's kids did stupid shit, ugh, 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 ugh. stay away yeah. from the, oh, don't go by the dinosaur. Well, but he's dead. There's it, a big difference between that and... Pieces of shit like this. Right. Being a sexual predator. And the current system is not what Patty Wetterling envisioned for this legislation. It's just, it's just not. Jacob Wetterling remained a missing person for 27 years. That is mind-boggling to me. Like, as a parent, to go 27 years not knowing where your baby was. That's not 20, knowing if he was alive, if he was dead, if he was cold or hungry. That's 26 years and 11 months. Way too long. I agree. Um, you know, there's a lot of criticism towards law enforcement in this case that they failed to connect dots. There's people that claim that they did not follow through on their searches and they failed to follow up on leads. Others commend the tenacity of Stearns County Police because they never gave up and continued to follow leads. And in the end, Jacob's family was able to find some closure and can now grieve this tremendous loss of their little boy. And I also want to say that Dan Rasher did sue, but his lawsuit was thrown out by the judge. Oh, go fuck yourself. So, but he did sue for, I think it was defamation defamation and harassment, I believe. And then we guess they're like, oh, well, it was part of the freaking, we had to make sure you weren't the guy. Kind of, yeah, basically. So. Okay. This one freaking hurts. Yeah, it does. Guys, I know we went a little weird there for a while. You, like, if you've been with us for a while. That's what that, we do. That's what we do. <laughs> we specialize in I mean, weird. You know, like, and we tell us to everybody, we're not the right we're not the right podcast for everybody, but the people that get it, we love you. Yes. And so if you want to be one of our patrons and have access to our patron-exclusive episodes, visit us at www.themidwestcrimefiles.com. Become a sign-up to become a patron. You can do so for as little as $1 a month, and we appreciate that so much. Yeah, and we're go- I'm, whenever we post this, and after you listen to it, and you get to this part, and you're like, oh, God, it's almost over. I want you to do one thing. We're trying to figure out what to call you guys. <laughs> we want a funky, like, name to call you guys. I said we should call them our tribe. No. I think <laughs> our daughter said the fiends. <laughs> like, what What would you, what What do you guys want to be called? I know, it's, I know, once again, weird fucking topic to kind of branch off to, but let us know. Like, in the comments, after you guys listen to this, find the Facebook post that has it in there. And let us know or message us. Like I want to, I don't want to call us my fans or my listeners. I want a, I want an awesome nickname. Oh, and another thing, we've decided to go to Comic or Crime Con. Yes, so we are going to Vegas in a few months, and we're so excited. We are, um, we are so excited. Um, it's weird. I never thought I'd be getting excited going to a freaking true crime event. 
I can't even get. I can't let you let me go to Comic Con. Oh, we're Los, gonna go to Comic Con eventually, but I'm talking about the big one in, in Los Angeles, like in fine. California. I'll go there. That's no problem. I don't have a problem getting on an airplane. Yeah, the first convention I'm really going to, not an anime convention, not a freaking gamer convention, not a comic convention. A fucking well, anyway. It's because he loves his wife. It's a funkin'. It's gonna be a fucking good time. But we're excited, and we're excited to spend this new year with you guys. So, um, until next week. Stay crazy. See you guys. Bye.